0: I could hear you today, which is nice. Uh, There's always a risk, but I'm going to ask for a volunteer. Anybody? (laughs) Two hands went up. Merle, come here. (laughs) Uh, For those that don't know Merle, actually, uh, Merle is an ordained elder in a free Methodist church. Uh, Used to be on staff here back in the 1900s. We're going to leave it at that. (laughs) Yep. So he knows, never raise your hand when the pastor asks for a volunteer. Uh, okay, so we're, we're just going to do a little, um, a little demonstration, and it's not going to be new to anybody, but we need your help. We're gonna, we've been talking about mercy in the last couple of weeks. We're going to talk about it again today and next week. We're going to pretend that this is mercy. Okay? not not going to dump it on you. Go ahead and take it. And different people, different shapes, different sizes need mercy, right? Yeah, so we got some different shapes and sizes of people need mercy, you know. So go ahead and give give some mercy to that one. There you go. He needs a lot of it. it. Yeah. All right. Now, other people, other people may not look like they need mercy, but perhaps that looks like a margarita. Um, I mean, a a mercy glass. Yeah, people say mercy when they drink from that type of glass. Uh, Somebody else needs mercy. Dad, yeah, keep it coming, because we all need mercy at some point, right? Yeah. Thank you, Amy. Yes, we do. We, we do very much. Very much. That one only needs a little bit, though. He's, he's doing all right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Good, good, good. Keep going, because a lot of people, a lot of mercy needed. Mercy. He just says mercy. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't leave the others dry. I mean, there's, there's still plenty that need mercy. Yeah. Mercy. <laughs> He's doing all right. So this guy actually needs a little bit more. He's been struggling lately. Well, there's more still. How do I? <laughs> He's going to start stacking them up. If you, were to, if you were to give more mercy, which is what you've been pouring out, how could you? Like, where would you have to go? Uh huh. You absolutely could. Good water. Good water. Yep. And get some more water. You need to go somewhere where there's an ever present flow, right? Somewhere where you can just keep going. True. So to pour out mercy, you have to receive it. Correct. For mercy to flow, you need to overflow. Is that fair? That is fair. Very good. Thank you. Let's pray. God, what is it you want us to hear today? What is, it, what, is it, what is it you want to say? I ask you to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, grab your Bibles, your phones, however you get to God's Word. Turn to Matthew chapter 17. We are in a short sermon series, just four weeks, where we're talking about mercy. And we're looking at four different times in Matthew's gospel where people cry out to Jesus for mercy. Uh, we're calling this sermon series, Mercy, More Than Thoughts and Prayers, and we've been expanding our idea of what mercy is. The first Sunday, I said that mercy gains traction through action. Mercy is something that we, that we do um, working off of Terabeth Leach's definition, mercy is partnering with God to alleviate, to deliver somebody from their need. So that was the first week. Last week, I said that mercy can call the future into the present. If you remember, we looked at the story of the Canaanite woman and how she was needing mercy for her daughter, and Jesus uh, just surprised us all. He ignored her first, and then he called her a name that we just didn't expect. And then she said, wait now, no, you have promised, this is my expanse of it, you have promised that all people would be able to experience you. I need your mercy now. It's a great story. So mercy called the future into the present. Today, I want to tell you that mercy overflows, or mercy flows from the overflow, okay? Mercy flows from the overflow. Our text is Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 to 21, At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. And from that moment on, the boy was well. Afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately, Why couldn't we cast out that demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, even if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Lord, have mercy on my son, the dad said. Last week it was a mom crying out for mercy for her daughter. This week it's a dad crying out for mercy for his son. And there is so much in this passage that we are not going to cover this morning. Okay? So much. In fact, I made a list. There's probably 25, 30 different sermons embedded in here. I made a list of all the things I wasn't going to talk about, and I actually wrote them down, and then I realized, well, if I share what I'm not going to talk about, then I'll be talking about it. So we're going to skip all of those. I'm going to skip like two pages here, and I'm going to tell you there's a lot in here that we're not going to cover, but the focus today, as I said, God, what does First Church need to hear on this Sunday from this text? The focus is that mercy flows from the overflow. Overflow. Mercy flows from the overflow. So we start again at verse 14. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You read a text like that, you got to wonder, why not? Why could they not heal them? Of course, you're going to look in here and you're going to say, well, Jesus tells them later on. But I'm asking, from what we've seen so far, why not? Did they not have the right words? Were they not using the right, the right incantations? Did, were they trying to cast out the wrong type of demon? Did they not have previous experience in demon casting or in, in sickness healing? If you rewind the story in Matthew's Gospel to Matthew chapter 10, you're going to see that Jesus sent out his 12 disciples on a mission trip. Uh, He had sent them out because they had watched him over the the course of weeks, months, a year or two, do lots of things. He healed people, raised people from the dead, he cast out many demons, and he looked at them and said, your turn, which was uh, understandable because when a rabbi Called disciples, which Jesus was a rabbi, and he called people to follow him. In that day and age, it was expected that the 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 disciples would learn to do what the rabbi did. I think oftentimes we think that while Jesus called disciples, so they could come, they would sit at his feet, they would learn his teaching, would be called his yoke, and then you know they'd memorize it with verse and chapter reference, and and you know, and, and then they'd be able to pass some sort of final exam, and that'd be good. They could call themselves disciples. The whole point of a disciple in that day and age and in our day and age, let this sink in, is so that we will know what Jesus teaches, but do what Jesus did. So in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, guys, it's time to go to work. It's time for you to go and do what you've seen me doing. And he didn't just push them out of the nest and let them, you know, fall, free fall to their demise. He gave them the tools they needed to survive. Matthew 10 verse 1. Jesus called the 12 disciples together, and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Huh. Do you think that authority could have been beneficial in our story today? It's okay to say yes. Not a trick question. I'm not going to ask for volunteers. Okay. Jesus gave them the authority in Matthew 10 to do what this father had brought the boy for them to do. So in Matthew 10, did that happen? Well, unfortunately, Matthew's gospel doesn't circle back to this, but Mark's gospel does. And Mark picks up this same story in uh, Mark chapter 6. You can just listen. It says, so the disciples went out after Jesus sent them out, gave them authority. So they went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with oil. Verse 30, if you jump forward there, it says the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour, told him all they had done and taught. So again, I ask, did these disciples back in our text today have previous experience in demon casting and healing the sick? They did. So why couldn't they do it this time? He says mercy. Mercy and Jesus are always the correct answer in these four weeks. This time, they swung for the fences, and they missed completely. Why? Was it stage fright? I mean, they had a large crowd. It's what the text said. A large crowd had gathered. Or were they overly confident? I mean, they had gone on a ministry tour. They had healed. They had cast out. I mean, all of a sudden, Matthew's like, guys, there's a big crowd. Yeah, we got this. Philip, you stay back. Thomas, I'll take care of this. And it didn't happen. The modern-day bishop of the Episcopal Church that says maybe these disciples thought they had the power in themselves. Maybe they thought they could do it without bothering God too much. We don't know why the other nine disciples couldn't cast out this demon. I mean, Jesus goes on to talk about it. It doesn't say it this early on. I think I have a pretty good idea. I think they had poured out all of their mercy earlier and then hadn't taken the time to refill this is just james speaking this i might be reading too much into the text but if we say mercy flows from the overflow had they been connected to the source in this story it says they came down the mountain that means there was a group that was up the mountain so jesus pd jimmy and johnny you guys ever heard that (laughs) Peter, James, and John, it just sounds better. They're probably younger kids. Peter, Peter, James, and John, they had taken a day hike up the mountain. That's why in the first part of this verse, it says at the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them when they got back down. So was this just a day hike? Take a couple hours? Did it take a couple days? We don't know. But we know that for the time that Jesus and Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain, the other nine were disconnected from the source. They were at least not in the same physical proximity with this person who they had seen doling out mercy for several months, if not years. Now, if you were following along in your Bible, when I read this text, I said I was going to read verses 14 through 21, and some of you were like, wait, he stopped at verse 20. Raise your hand if you, in your Bible, you've got verse 21. Okay, there's a a few. There's a few. Mine doesn't have it. Because, and here's why, in the original Greek, some of the Greek translations that they have of this portion of Scripture has verse 21 in it, others don't. So what my Bible did is they let this in as as an asterisk. Um, If you're not familiar with how to to study Scripture, sometimes there is a little asterisk in there, and then at the bottom, in the very fine print, that's not the uh, giant print, but the type you have to get out your magnifying glass for, it says, verse 20, it says, some manuscripts add verse 21. Okay, so at the end of 20, it says, move from here to there, tell the mountain that, and nothing would be impossible. Some manuscripts add, but this kind of demon won't leave except by prayer and fasting. This time, a demon won't leave except by prayer and fasting. This line is found in Mark's account of the story, but this line here tells me at least I think it tells me that perhaps these nine that were left had not been as connected to the source as they needed to be. Prayer and fasting in that day, and of course in our day, are kind of, well, we hear the words all the time, but they're kind of next level spiritual disciplines. When you do that, you move closer, you move nearer, you, you, you see God more clearly. It'd be like looking at a bug in a, uh, just with our naked eye, you can only see so much, and then sticking it under a magnifying glass it gets bigger. Stick it under a microscope, it gets even bigger. I think what Jesus is saying is, hey, through prayer and fasting, you get even more connected to the source. When Jesus had gone into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted, Satan didn't tempt him on day one, he tempted him on day 40. What did Jesus do from day one to day 40? He prayed and fasted. In the early church, before they made big decisions, what did the early church do? Prayed and fasted. In uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 2 and 3, it says that the group that had gathered were about to make a big decision, so uh, God had told them to send out Saul and Barnabas, and so it says after they prayed and fasted more, they sent them out. Now, this is a one-time occasion, no big deal, but a chapter later, we see Paul and Barnabas doing that same thing. At every church they planted, it says in chapter 14, verse 23, it says they prayed and fasted and laid hands on the people and, and let God do what God did. So I'm seeing this, this, this type comes out through prayer and fasting, and I'm thinking to myself, well, that's that next level. That's that closeness. That's that intimacy. That's that filling up that the disciples may not have had. Again, may not have. I'm going to go on a rabbit trail. Will you follow me for a second? Let's park it right over here. I love this story because the dad who goes, and goes to the disciples anticipating that the disciples will be able to heal a son. Maybe he's heard about their success in the past, or maybe he just knows that a rabbi's disciple should be able to do what the rabbi does. He goes to the disciples, and the disciples can't heal the boy. Most people would have turned around and walked off. Not this guy. This guy's like, wait, I need to get closer to Jesus. I'm not going to let the disciples' failure get in the way of what I know Jesus can do. How often today... Do church people keep non church people from experiencing Jesus? Ooh. Thank you. A lot. How often, I mean, Gandhi said it well I love your Christ, but not your Christians. How often do the disciples of Jesus stand in the way of people experiencing a mercy exchanging relationship with Jesus? This isn't just like in the last two or three years. I, I, I study from a commentary that's almost 70 years old, and that commentator said this, in spite of the failure of the disciples, the father never doubted the power of Jesus himself. It's as if this father said, only let me get close to Jesus and my problems will be solved. My need will be met. There is something very poignant about that, this author writes. There's something very universal and very modern. There are many who feel, this is 70 years ago, many who feel that the church, the professed disciples of Jesus in their own day and generation have failed and are powerless to deal with the ills of the human situation. And yet in the back of the minds of the people who are needing Jesus, there's this feeling if we could just get beyond as human followers, just get behind this facade of ecclesiasticism and the failure of the church, if we could just get to Jesus himself, we would receive the things we need. This guy says, it's our condemnation and our challenge that even yet, though men have lost their faith in the church, they have never lost their faith in Jesus Christ himself. This man in our story wanted, needed, persisted to get to Jesus. And what happened? He got what he came for. Let us never be the reason somebody can't experience Jesus. Okay? Rabbit trail over. Let me get back to our text. Matthew chapter 17. We got Jesus. We got Pete. We got Jenny. Jim, Jim, and John. Pete, James, James. Yes, Peter, James, and John got on a day hike or a couple of days up on the mountain. They came back down. There's a lar- large crowd that had gathered. A dad had brought his son to the disciples to be healed. They couldn't do it, so brings it to Jesus. Jesus says a few harsh words. I mean, that's in the text. It's one of the things we're not going to cover today. And then he heals the boy, and the disciples come to him later and they say, Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says this because this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting, which I think is Jesus saying, This kind only comes out only when you have been poured into. This type of mercy only happens when you have been filled with mercy. So I'm sitting there putting myself in the shoes of the disciples. We know Jesus is fully human and fully divine. The disciples knew Jesus was fully human. Okay? They don't have the same back knowledge that we did. They, they understood he was the Messiah. So they might've been thinking to himself, where do you get your power from? Right? Because Jesus was always going. He was never in a hurry, but he was always going. He was battling with the religious leaders. He was healing. He was casting out demons. Did Jesus get his power just because he was divine? No. Did Jesus get his power just because Jesus is always the right answer? No. Jesus got his power because he took time to connect with the Father. Without opening your Bibles, without looking down, so all eyes up here. Right there. What did Peter, James, and John, and Jesus do up on top of the mountain? No. (laughs) But thank you, that's a good guess. For those listening online, I said prayed and fasted. That would have been a phenomenal answer. They connected, which would be praying. I don't know if they fasted. I mean, hopefully they took some nutrition as they hiked. Um, Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. Which is code word for to plug in, to get poured into. And then watch what happens. Verse 2. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. The church traditionally calls this the transfiguration, which is a big fancy way of saying this is probably the coolest time we ever get to witness Jesus plugging in. One of the coolest times we ever get to see Jesus being poured into. I mean, he was in such deep, fill me up, Father, mode that he glowed, all right? That's what took place up on the mountain. And then he came back down the mountain, and what happened? Mercy overflowed. Because he had been filled up. He was able to overflow. A conservative commentator that my grandpa used to study from says this, real religion is to rise from our knees before God, he's speaking about the, trans, the transfiguration, to come down to meet men and their problems. Real religion is to draw strength from God and give it to others. Real religion involves both meeting God in the secret place and men in the marketplace. And I would add that real mercy is being able to pour out what you have been poured into. Jesus showed mercy because he had just gotten filled up. That's pretty cool, huh? I think so. So what do we do with this? besides like, oh, that was a fun pitcher and cup analogy, what are we going to leave thinking about today? What does God want us to hear? You know, over the past two weeks, I've been pushing us, telling us to pray for opportunities to go out and show mercy, to to live mercy, to be mercy. I've been telling us to go out, right? I wonder if today is a day where we're needing to be told, hold on a second, before you go out, you need to make sure you're, you're filled up. You need to make sure that you are overflowing so that you are able to spill into and onto others. I want to invite Tim to come up. We do this often at the end of uh, at the end of our services, is we give a time of you know time to reflect, a time to think, a time to pray. We do this intentionally because so often we just want to get up and go. We've got things to do, we have got meals to eat, we've got you know shows to watch. There might be golf on today, maybe. But if we miss what God might be wanting to say to us, then we've missed some of the point of being here today so as Tim kind of strums quietly in the background we're going to have an opportunity just to pray and I want us to ask ourselves I want us to take a serious look at our own walks with Jesus have we had success with Jesus in the past but now we're just coasting have we been used mightily by God through God's power in the past but now we've been trying to go in our own power Do we need to withdraw? I love love this. In the story in Matthew 10, or actually in Mark 6, where the disciples went out, they came back, right? And they told Jesus everything that they had had done. You know, the first thing Jesus does to them isn't high five and say, let's keep going. The first thing he says is, let's get away so we can pray, so we can be together. That's Matthew 6, verse 31. So do we need to have that time? Do we need to join Jesus on the mountain and be filled back up? Do we need to enter into deeper times of prayer and fasting so that we take that next step of intimacy, of nearness, of clearness with God? Or have we spent the last days, weeks, months, years being poured into and we've never come down the mountain to pour into others? There's a lot of other things that we could get from that text. But I want to allow the the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does best and guide and convict and direct and encourage and point. So we're going to spend a little bit of time praying. Tim will play. If you want to be prayed for, Sherry and I'm going to ask Joel will be in the back corner, in in the prayer corner, and they'll pray for you. And I'll pray so that if, you know, people's heads will be bowed and their, their eyes will be closed, so if you want to go back there without being noticed, that'll be fine. If you, want to, if you want to stay right where you're at and pray also, that's also completely fine. But ultimately, I want us to ask the question, God, what do you want us to leave with this morning? Do we need to go and refill? Or is it time for us to go and pour out? Or is there something completely different? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I ask that in these moments, these minutes that we have from here uh, I ask that you would speak Lord do we need your mercy pouring into our lives, are there things in our lives that situations that we need you to pour into us help us see that Lord are we so full from you constantly pouring into us that it's time for you to push us out of the nest, it's time for you to say go do what Jesus did show mercy God, is there something completely different that that we need to hear? I ask that you'd help us listen. Help us draw near to you. And in doing so, would you draw near to us in these coming moments?